I am, um, I want to talk about the idea of connection tonight. I think it's, um, it's incredibly important to recognize the idea, uh, the idea of connection and what that means. Um, and, um, I've been feeling deeply, deeply touched. I mean, this is, this is by all the tragedy that's happening. It's this relentlessness of the news that keeps coming at us right now. Um, and I've, it's been so hard and so many of us and so many of you have said, you know, it's this, it's this stuff that we're carrying, but also recognizing that there's, you know, it's, there's also joy in this world. That's the 10,000 joys, the 10,000 sorrows that we, we talk about and we hear about. But, um, I've been especially, um, sensitive I've noticed because of all of this. And, um, I've noticed, I noticed some things recently, like I was hiking the other day and it was in this really pretty area, um, here in LA up in the hills and all of a sudden a deer ran across my path and I've never had that experience before. I mean, there's been bunnies and squirrels and lizards, but, um, and there's always deer over there somewhere, but never one ran right across my path and I teared up. I teared up when this deer ran across my path, and then, you know, I I, um, I follow this uh, foster kitten place that's where we got our cats from this kitten rescue, and, and they post these pictures, and I well up, and then, you know, I was listening to a podcast about Henry Aaron, who is a baseball player who bo- broke Babe Ruth's record, and everything he went through as a black man breaking... Uh, a white man's record in baseball and and the horror that he had to experience and I teared up around that and 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 then there's there, so there's joy there's sadness there's all these things and the, the reality of the world and then I look at my two stupid goofball cats and I smile and and what I realized I, once I, I I think what it was that put me over the edge or not put me over the edge but it had me thinking was when the deer ran across and I'm like why am I welling up because there's a deer running across my path? And as I reflected on it, I realized that I'm feeling this deep connection, this deep connection, not only with other folks, other people, but with, with everything. There's this, con- this recognition of our interconnectedness across the board. And it's, there's a sensitivity there. And it got me thinking about how this path is a path of connection. Last week, I talked about the idea of liberation and the idea of enlightenment and awakening. And, and part of that liberation and freedom is the destruction of the I, is the, the sense of me and the ego and, and I, me, mine. Um, the sense of self and self-you, because when we get caught up in the sense of I, it's a separation from other. It's a separation from other. And when we're connected, um, there's this recognition, and sometimes it's simply the felt sense, like I've been having recently, that felt sense of connection. Our hearts are undefended. uh, We're touched. You know, and this is where the Buddha's words of living with a heart imbued with loving kindness, imbued with compassion, imbued with gladness and joy, imbued with, with equanimity come in. And he, that, that idea was um, 
it's it's found in so many suttas in the in the early teachings in the early suttas and um, just one for example it says it's a disciple who is ennobled who's on the eightfold path has rid himself of um, ill will and abides with his heart imbued with loving kindness extending over all quarters of the world and above and below and around and everywhere and to all as to himself he abides with his heart abundant exalted measureless in loving kindness without hostility or ill will extending over the all-encompassing world he and then it goes on and he abides the same way with compassion and gladness and, and equanimity all with this all-encompassing world so we have a heart filled with this this kindness compassion joy for your gladness for your joy gladness for your good fortune in that incredibly challenging practice of mudita and then the equanimity and so that is when we are connected we have this 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 heart that is just full of this love and kindness and compassion for all beings. It's when we get into the sense of I that we build up the separation. And when we have the separation, that's when so much harm can be caused. Because when we get into the sense of I, we move into the sense of protecting mine. Because we, then we get into the sense of fear. It's like, you might take mine. Mudita is the antidote to that. Because mudita is this practice of, of, of gladness for others' wholesome good fortune. But if we're coming from this place of, I, you got yours, and if you get yours, then maybe there's not enough for me. And so we, there's this coming apart rather than a, than a recognition that we're all in this together. And Bhikkhu Bodhi, I saw, he posted something the other day, for those of you who don't know, Bhikkhu Bodhi is this very wise monk, this scholar. He's translated most of the suttas, I believe, from Pali. Um, and he's teaching, and he's a very wise man. And he wrote, um, he was writing, writing about the problem we're having right now with guns and violence. And one of the things he said he said, the distant background to the malaise of infecting the American psyche is the social ethos of this nation with its celebration of individualism, aggression, and cutthroat competition. And I talked about this last week when I was talking about liberation, how we this culture supports this idea of rugged individualization and, and pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and, bootstraps and we got to do this alone. We're on our own. This ethos, which has become more pronounced over the past few decades, erodes the ties of empathy and solidarity essential to social cohesion. As a result, many in this country have come to suffer from a chronic sense of isolation and alienation. Rather than feeling connected to others, they find themselves drifting through life alone, forlorn and confused with no one to turn to for support. And this, of course, was exacerbated by the pandemic where we were forced to be alone. And not all of us do well with online um, uh, mechanisms for connection. I'm really grateful that I have a, an online community and I'm comfortable with it, but a lot of people I know are not. And they, they don't connect this way and they really suffer from this lack of connection. And so have that added to the ethos of our society that says you're on your own, you gotta do it, blah, blah, blah. 
Um, it, it can be so destabilizing and debilitating when you think you're on your own and you're on the lookout for I, me, or my. And it's incredibly painful. And there's a, a someone, um, Matthew Lieberman, wrote a book on this. I, oh, I didn't write down the book's name. But he said, our need to connect is as fundamental as our need for food and water. So if we're living in a place of disconnection, we're not taking care of what is one of the most essential needs that we have, this need for connection. Um, and we're, we are... The Buddha talked about it. We are conditioned beings, and we are profoundly shaped by our environment, our social environment, and we suffer greatly when those bonds, when our social bonds are threatened or severed. You know, and this goes back thousands of years. It's not just in this last century or, or in the last hundred years or a couple hundred years. There has been othering going on for as long as there's written history, us versus them, we got to get there. We got to get ours before they get ours, or we need. They got more than us, so we need to get more than them. And blah blah blah. My husband watches these shows on. I think it's Discovery or whatever about you know the history of the 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 Carnegie and Rockefeller and even the history of like Hershey and Mars bars and candy or whatever. And it's like I need. To, they're they're doing better than I am. I need to do better than they are. This continual competition. This continual othering. And we have these habitual ways of creating separation. There's class, there's race, there's sexual orientation, there's, there's gender identity, there's religion, there's a, a, a ability, there's um, you name it. I mean, you'll go back to that old, old, old Star Trek, one of the original Star Treks where these two guys, one guy's chasing this other guy through the universe um, trying to capture him. And they, their faces, half their faces painted black, half their faces painted white. And the Enterprise crew can't figure out why one guy's chasing the other. And he asked him, he asked, why are you chasing him? He goes, what do you mean? And one of them had black on the left and white on the right. And the other had black on the right and white on the left. I, if you're dyslexic I mean, like me, you're like, you can't tell them apart. But that it, to them it was like, so sometimes these things, we make up all these differences. We create all these differences are are created by us religion all these things it's like instead of recognizing that we have this shared humanity as Neil deGrasse Tyson says the astrophysicist we, we're all from stardust you know that big bang and the atoms there's some of that in all of us um, instead of recognizing that we create these these classes of separation, and which are driven by the three poisons, which are driven by greed. I, I like what you have, and that'll make me happy, so I need to take that. Or fear, or hatred, aversion. I don't like this. I want that. Or just d ignorance, delusion. People just don't pay attention. There's people with all the dust in their eyes. There are people just kind of shovel it in, just walk around with buck their head in a bucket of dirt so that they just don't see. So there's this massive delusion that's going on that makes it so easy to other. I mean, I other people. I mean, it, it's just habitual. And we find ourselves doing that so much now. You find, of course, in social media and in the incredibly polarized world we, we live in, them and they. I mean, I like baseball, and it's easy to other the other team. 
they are bastards or and it's like stupid stuff i mean but that stuff can escalate it can be silly but you have to pay attention how easy it is i have to pay attention how easy it is for me to fall into that othering we slice it and dice it all kinds of ways and then what's interesting is when there's two people or two groups like this, and then a third group comes in, this, this group joins together to fight that group, and then when that group goes away, they go back to fighting each other. So you, so you see how fluid and malleable they are, and you can connect when necessary. You know, there's that, that incredibly poignant story about World War I where there's the, the, the German soldiers, and I think it's the British soldiers in... in um, in Belgium, in Flanders fields, where they're, they've just been in the trenches for months and months and months, and it's Christmas Eve. And I, I cry. I'm still welling up when I think about this. They stopped on Christmas Eve and sang together and shared their humanity. And then the next day they went back to killing each other. Because they weren't willing to let go of I, me, and mine. They were not willing to let that go. We hold on to that so tightly, that sakayaditi, that self-view. Who am I? Who are us? Who would I be without this? And the Buddha says to cling is to suffer. And so when we cling to these ideas, we suffer. However that suffering, that discomfort, that stuff shows up. And so to recognize this and to recognize this connection is so important. Because when we are connected, there's this sense of well-being. There's this sense of ease. We become not only attuned to ourselves, but we come, become attuned to each other, you know? Um, and there was a, a talk given by Dr. Michael Yellowbird, which I've mentioned a number of times because I found it very impactful. And he's an, an indigenous, indigenous um, member of a tribe up in northeastern, northwestern United States, Canada area. And he was, he, he's a, a neuro... He talks about neurodecolonization. I think he's a sociologist and he teaches at a university. I'm not sure what university up in the Northwest. And um, he talks about uh, mindfulness and its impact on the brain. And I love when they talk neuroscience. I don't speak it, the language very well myself, but I really relate to it. And he was talking about how in mindfulness practice, it impacts this certain part of the brain which um, gets us, uh, activates our empathy and activates compassion. So when we practice, when we practice mindfulness, those parts of the brain are activated. And if you've done deep practice, that sense of separation can fall away. It dissolves. We recognize that there is no separation, which is so important. And that's where this sense of well-being arises, when you're deep in practice and you've let... Because every time we get into that, 
that story in the mind when we're distracted and start thinking about things rather than experiencing the moment, that we're creating stories. And so often they're, they're me and everything else. Whatever it is, it can be simple, it can be ginormous, it can be important, it can be silly, whatever it is, watching how we have that tendency to create that separation. That's what the mind does. And there's a there's a there's a there's a, a, a biological reason for it. I mean, we've got the reptilian brain, which is always on the lookout for danger, and then the mammalian brain that needs to be taken care of, and then the the primate brain that's the one that 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 is 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 looking forward to connection. That's what um, Rick Hansen, another neuroscientist and Buddhist teacher, talks about. What is it? Um, Pet the lizard, pet the lizard, the reptile for safety. Feed the mouse, the mammalian brain with the reward. And then hug the monkey. That's the one that has this need for connection and attachment. Not attachment clinging in the Buddhist sense, but this, this recognition of this, the letting go of the sense of separation. And so mindfulness is a real important way to cultivate this sense of connection. This recognition that we are um, all in this together, that we open our hearts so that we are touched by a deer crossing the road or whatever it is in our lives. We don't need to be, we can get rid of the judging mind. We can get rid of that comparing mind because that judging mind, it, our mind just kind of goes into that. It's just this natural thing that happens. And so mindfulness, awareness makes us recognize what that's like when we're that, when we're there. And, be, and the effort, one of the factors, the Eightfold Path, all of the Eightfold Path supports this whole thing. Wise effort, recognizing when we're in those unwholesome states of mind and making the effort to let go, whatever it is. I have a very judgy mind, especially when I'm in different places. I remember being in an airport, I think it was changing planes in Atlanta, and I was just sitting there, and, and wherever there's massive groups of people I really enjoy, my mind just starts going into judging. I know all, I make up stories about them, and based on what they're wearing, and what kind of suitcase they have, and really, did you need that many suitcases for two people? I mean, I just go off, and um, I remember this one time, I was, I, I was, in the middle of that, and I went, oh, I forgot, I love you. I forgot, I love you. And that shifts it. Instead of the judging, creating the sense of me, I, and mine, it's like heart imbued with loving kindness. All beings, we're all just bumbling through this world together. It's open-heartedness, loving kindness, compassion. So we're attuned to ourselves, we're in tune to others, and this mindfulness supports this connection. Our heart is open, it's undefended. Doesn't mean we're dumb. Doesn't, I always have to say this, it doesn't mean we don't hold people accountable when they're causing harm. Absolutely necessary to do that, but we don't ha carry hatred, harbor hatred or other, and we just recognize these people are caught in their greed, their hatred, delusion, whatever it is. You know, every, there's, a, there's, this, there's a practice of, um, you know, absolute accountability. 
And I always like to, um, when in this practice, if there's a difficulty in doing something, so if there's a difficulty in connection, what gets in the way? And Sebeni Selassie, who's uh, a Buddhist teacher, has written a book, which I finally ordered, I can't believe I don't have it, called You Belong, A Call for Connection. And she says, you know, recognize how you don't feel connected. How connect to any ways, she said, connect to any ways you don't fit in, aren't accepted, or feel separate, you know? Can you sense that, can you sense that longing for connection within you? Is there a part of you that knows the universality of that longing? You know, what gets in the way of our connection? And oftentimes it's these stories we've grown up with, these you're not good enough, you're unlovable, you're not the right whatever, fill in the blank. We each have several of those, I'm sure. So really recognize where we do feel disconnected because it's so important because if we're not paying attention, it's so easy to get caught up in, you know, this is where folks who feel so alienated are so easily drawn into these, these really harmful organizations that create a sense of community and really utilize um, that sense of disconnection for their own, you know, the, the Proud Boys and all the, the white supremacist groups and, and all those things. That's what you saw that happening with ISIS. Um, all these, these folks, disaffected young, folk, young people around the world just really going, oh, I can go over there and be a part of something. This, this desire, this need for connection, we have to pay attention to the importance of that and, and take care of it. Um, tend to it, be intentional in how we do it. Because there's, there's no difference between us. Thich Nhat Hanh wrote a poem called Call Me By, I think it's, what is it, Call Me By My Real Name, where we have to recognize that we are, um, we are everything. You know, we are, um, oh, call me by my true names. You know, I am, I am the bird that swoops down to follow the mayfly, and I'm also the fly on the river. You know, I'm the frog swimming happily in the clear water of a pond, and I am the grass snake that silently feeds itself on the frog. You know, I am the child in Uganda, all skin and bones, my legs as thin as bamboo stalks, and I am the arms merchant selling deadly weapons to Uganda. We are, we are all those things. We are everything. And so we can't shut out anything. We have to be open to everything within ourselves and to recognize ourselves in others. It's so easy to other. It's so easy to disconnect from the unpleasant. And instead, we are invited to recognize, be with the unpleasant. Sati also means be with. Can we be with the unpleasant? And Ruth King, who is a most wonderful teacher, talks about creating community because that's really important. Refuge in the Sangha, one of the, one of the three gems, um, the triple gem. Cre she says, create, cultivate a culture of care. To cultivate a culture of care is to be in relationship with the humanity with a wise heart. We are in relationship with humanity with a wise heart. 
which is what the Eightfold Path is. It, it invites us to be in harmony with the rest of the world, with the rest of humanity. And Larry King, Larry King, Larry Yang wrote a book, Larry Yang, who was one of the co-founding members of um, East Bay Meditation Center and um, Inside Community of the Desert, wrote a book called Awakening Together about creating a wise community. And he writes... Beloved communities are envisioned as those that embody the values of love and justice in every aspect of their being, even when circumstances are difficult or oppressive. A beloved community assumes all our lives are interrelated and the social nature of our humanity is not secondary to any other aspect of life. As Dr. King reminds us over and over again, we are tied together in the single garment of destiny, caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. Eventually, the Dharma invites the deepest intention from all communities, communities of color, European Americans, queer folks, heteronormative folks, young people, people of different physical abilities, to be able to practice anywhere with anyone under any circumstance, and to be able to practice together in unity as a gathering of whole communities. It will take a concerted effort from all of us to raise the level of our personal and collective awareness to fulfill the intention to truly live together in a way that embodies non-harm, non-oppression, and non-exclusion. It takes time and a lot more of it than anyone would like. That's the thing. We want it now and we have to recognize that this is the work of generations. But it's the work we have to do. There's a, there's a saying from the Talmud, which I can't remember exactly, but it says, um, just because it's not going to get done in my lifetime doesn't mean I am not uh, um, called to do it. Um, I have to do the work. And um, there's one other thing I was going to say. Oh, yeah, I was the Fannie Lou Hamer's famous quote. Uh, Nobody's free till everybody's free. I think I might be paraphrasing that, but nobody's free till everybody's free. So this work of liberation is also a work of connection. It's a work of recognizing that there's no separation between us. And we don't cling to anything that causes us to be separated. And that's when we find our freedom. That's when we find our freedom, when we recognize that we are all in this together. And we let go of our I, me, and mine. So... Thank you, thank you, thank you, my friends. Those are my thoughts on connection, and I really appreciate your, uh, your kind attention. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology, that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.